Beloved, I have good news for you this morning. Prayer is not something that you are called to stir up within yourself from your own resources. It's not some kind of spiritual work that you're meant to grit your teeth and and put out your lip and perform so that you can earn the favor of God. Rather, prayer, like every other part of your life, if you are one who belongs to Christ, prayer is God's gracious gift to you. Prayer is gift. If there's anything that you walk out of this sermon series remembering, let it be this. Prayer is God's gift to you. And you will only grow in your life of prayer if you learn to pray by grace, by the grace of God. You will only mature in your life of prayer if you receive that life of prayer as a gift that is given to you in God's gracious kindness. And and to be precise, friends, your life of prayer is the gift of participating in something that's already happening and participating by grace in the Son's eternal constant, uninterrupted communion with the Father by means of that Holy Spirit that He has poured out on you, that you might be lifted up and united to Him and enter into the fellowship and communion that He has with the Father. That is what prayer is. Jesus Christ lives forever for us as our man in heaven, as the God-man. And He lives there, the Scriptures tell us, for this reason, that he might forever intercede for all those who draw near to God through him. Indeed, that's the claim of Jesus. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is true for our life of prayer, just as it is true for our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins and the life everlasting. For in Him, in Christ, all things, including our life of prayer, hold together. All things hold together in Him. Over the next three weeks, we'll be unpacking this idea and applying it to some of the most prominent challenges in our lives of prayer and how those challenges are reframed by the reality of our union with Christ and the reality that He is the praying one whom we pray through, and that our reception of a life of prayer is a gift that we receive from Him. Today we'll talk primarily about the challenge of our prayerlessness, our lack of prayer, which is rooted in our lack of love for God. Next Sunday we'll consider the, the smallness of our prayers, which is rooted in our lack of faith, And December 18th, the last Sunday of Advent, we'll consider the weakness of our prayers, how quickly we give up in prayer and how that is connected to our lack of hope. This morning, we've heard already from Psalm 34, which teaches us from the Old Testament that God is always listening, always ready to hear and answer the prayers of his beloved children. 
In the New Testament, we heard also from a number of Paul's epistles where Paul again and again, by the inspiration of the Spirit, exhorts the church to pray without ceasing, to pray constantly, to pray without interruption. And in our gospel reading this morning, we heard the story of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane on the night before his death and his disciples' inability to pray with him, how they were unable to pray with their Lord. I'm going to read again briefly from that account in Matthew 26, the section where Jesus comes to his disciples and wakes them from their slumber. Listen now once more to God's holy and inerrant word from Matthew 26, verses 40 to 41. And he, that is Jesus, came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true. And it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts would be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight through our rock and our redeemer, through our high priest, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Could you not watch with me one hour? That's what Jesus asks Peter in the garden of Gethsemane. He's been praying, Jesus has, pouring out his heart to the Father. And Peter, though Jesus had invited him, asked him to pray with him, Peter has been sleeping. Could you not watch with me one hour, Jesus says. And he says that, beloved, not only to Peter, but also to us as well. It's one of the reasons why these words are recorded for us. I don't know about you, but those words of Christ haunt me. Could you not watch with me one hour, he says. Have you ever tried to pray for an hour, 60 minutes? It's almost impossible to do, unless you're doing one of two things, at least one of two things, which argues for why these things are important in order to sustain prayer. It's almost impossible to pray for an hour unless you're praying in the presence of other Christians, right? Other people praying with you. Or perhaps unless you're using someone else's prayers, right? Written prayers that are given to you like the Psalms to speak aloud um, to God. Even so, Jesus says, and he asks us today, could you not watch with me one hour? Those words from our Lord haunt me personally because they remind me of how often I, like Peter, fall short in my life of prayer at a very basic level and that I don't pray as often or as long or as uninterrupted as I ought. That there are many times when I'm not praying as I should. The New Testament is full of language that calls us into a deep, constant, uninterrupted life of prayer. Be constant in prayer, Paul instructs the church in Rome. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, he says to the Colossians. Pray without ceasing, Paul calls to the Thessalonians. Pray at all times in the Spirit, he says to the Ephesians. Paul speaks this way because constant, uninterrupted, uninterrupted communion with God is the reason for which you were made. It's the reason for which I was made. God desires this kind of fellowship and communion with us, and he sent his son into the world for this purpose, that he might redeem us from our sins and give us everlasting life, that we might enjoy eternal communion with him as he intends. The Collect by Thomas Cramner, the old ancient prayer, puts it this way. He addresses God and says, Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray. I love how that colic states it. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray. God has invited us into this constant life of prayer. And yet, if we are honest, much of our lives is marked by prayerlessness, by lack of prayer. There's a spectrum here, of course. Some of us pray more than others. Some of us pray less. Some of us hardly ever pray. But all of us, I think, all of us, no matter where we're at on that spectrum, all of us live with a very real and inherent tension between how much we long to pray or how much we know we ought to pray, perhaps, and how much we actually pray. All of us live with this tension in our lives. And what is the reason for that gap, for that lack? What is the, the, the root of our lack of prayer that we all know exists in our lives, if we are honest? It's often easy to mark that lack of prayer up to things like busyness, right? If only I were less busy, we might think, or we might say, I would certainly pray more. But is that true? Is that really true? Do you pray more during a week when you're really less busy, typically? Or maybe we chalk up our lack of prayer to a lack of self-discipline and willpower. We think, I just need to figure out some kind of reminder system, right? Something on my phone or computer or in my house somewhere, a sticky note, whatever, that will remind me to pray. And, and then I'll pray more. But is that true? Really? Is that really the problem? Friends, I would argue that if we were to understand ourselves according to a biblical anthropology, we'd be forced to admit that in our life of prayer, as in all things in our lives, the decisions that we make are not dictated by our external circumstances, but actually are fundamentally rooted in the persons that we actually are. Our Lord Jesus tells us, it is from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, right? The problem with our speech, according to Jesus, isn't our lack of willpower or our external circumstances. The problem with our speech is our heart. 
our heart comes out of our mouth. And the same is true in our lives of prayer. We do not pray as we ought because our hearts have not yet been made holy, fully. If we were fully holy, perfectly sanctified, we would, as a second nature, pray with the kind of fervency and desire and intention that Paul commands. It's revealing that when Jesus challenges this is challenge his his disciples, Peter in particular, to wake from their slumber and to pray with them in the garden, he frames his exhortation to them explicitly in spiritual terms. Right? He doesn't come to Peter and James and John and say, Hey, I know you're tired, and that's why you can't pray, because you didn't get enough sleep last night. And so why don't you do some like jumping jacks and wake yourselves up, and then you'll be able to pray with me. He doesn't say, here, go grab a cup of coffee and come back, and then you'll be able to stay awake. No, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Beloved, the problem with our prayer lives is not our busyness, it's not our forgetfulness, it's not our circumstances. Note the problem with our prayer lives is the weakness of our flesh. It's the remaining corruption of our hearts. It's the influence of the old man who still exerts influence over us even as we seek to put on Christ. Truthfully, our lack of prayer to God is connected to our lack of love for God to sin, fundamentally. These three abide, Paul says, faith, hope, love. But if we're honest, our love for God does not always abide in us. It fails at times. We often love other things more than we love the one who made us, the one to whom we owe our love. We do not love our Heavenly Father as we should, and so we do not commune with Him in prayer as we ought. That's the fundamental problem, if we're honest. The reason for our lack of prayer is not our busyness, or our circumstances, or or our forgetfulness, or our lack of reminders. It is our lack of love. That's the sad news, and it may be difficult to face that. But friends, there's no hope of getting better unless we actually look ourselves in the mirror and accept the true diagnosis of our hearts. We have to do that. But beloved, even in the midst of that diagnosis that your lack of prayer is rooted in your lack of love for God, what if I told you that there is one man who does not have this problem? who actually loves God perfectly and fully, who truly loves the Lord as the law commands with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. In this man, God's love truly abides. Love for God abides in him. It never fails. It never falls short. And what if I told you that as a result of his love for God, 
loving God with all his heart and his soul and his might, every inch of himself. This man keeps watch in prayer, not for an hour, but for eternity. That he lives in constant, uninterrupted communion with the Father. What if I told you that this man lived forever for this reason? That he might make intercession for all those who draw near to God through him. Indeed, beloved, this is the good news of the gospel. Because this man, this Lord Jesus, with his perfect love for God, with his mature and perfectly faithful prayer life, has by the Holy Spirit united himself to you and all your weakness and all your lack of love and all your frailty, all your prayerlessness, such that it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That's what the scriptures teach us. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul. Imagine these words, particularly this morning, in the context of your life of prayer. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith or by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, I think that many of us try to live as functional Pelagians when it comes to our life of prayer. Pelagius was a heretic in the fourth century who taught that people could just make themselves better if they tried hard enough. Right? There was nothing fundamentally wrong with them. We think if we just try hard enough, we'll pray more. I just got to try more and I'll pray more as though we have in ourselves the capacity to improve our hearts and deepen our love for God. But that is not the gospel, beloved. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, I can promise you that you will never pray more fruitfully by looking to yourself and your own resources to deepen your life of prayer. No, you will only learn to pray if you will humble yourself and go to Jesus and say to him, as the disciples did, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. The reality is that Jesus Christ is still teaching those who come to him to pray, just as he did in his earthly life with his followers. For it is only in our union with Jesus and in our union with his high priestly prayer life that we will ever be able to pray as we ought, as we should. James Torrance, the 20th century Scottish theologian, he puts it this way. He says, the secret of true prayer or fruitful prayer is a vivid awareness that the real agent, right, the real actor in Christian prayer is in the first instance, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord praying on our behalf and the power of the Spirit. That's the secret of true prayer, fruitful prayer, a vivid awareness that the real agent, the real actor in Christian prayer is not in the first instance ourselves, but the Lord. 
Christ Jesus, who prays on our behalf in the power of the Spirit. This is what it means, friends, to receive your life of prayer as a gift from outside of yourself. Because prayer is not something you stir up inside of you as though you could do that. No, your life of prayer is the gift of participating by grace in the Son's constant communion with the Father by means of that same Holy Spirit that He has poured out upon you. We don't stir up prayer in ourselves. Rather, we step into the prayers of someone else, someone who does it right, someone who does not fail, who does not fall asleep. We pray by stepping into the prayers of our Lord Jesus, who lives forever to make intercession for us as we draw near to God through Him. What if in the midst of your life, you didn't think, okay, now I need to take a few moments to pray. What if instead you kept at the forefront of your heart the reality that in every moment of your life, all the hours you've ever lived, all the hours you've ever slept, all the hours you've worked, all the hours that you've been too busy, quote unquote, or too distracted or too feeble, in your love to pray all of that time. Jesus Christ has been praying for you in heaven on your behalf. All of it. Every minute, every second that you have been prayerless, he has prayed. And so what, it, what if, if as, you, as you held that reality, that promise of the gospel in your mind, when you come to that time during your day to pray, you thought, not it's time for me to pray in my own strength, but rather, no, it's time for me now to enter into the prayers of Jesus. The prayers that he has been offering for me on my behalf all day long. All the moments I've not been praying, he has been praying. And now, as I, as I stop to pray, I'm going to enter into his prayers that go before me, that follow after me. Beloved, this is what it means to pray by grace. By grace, which is the only shot we have at praying at all. This is what it means to receive prayer as a gift rather than perform prayer as a work. To realize that Jesus' prayers have gone before us. That Jesus' prayers follow behind us. That Jesus' prayers sustain us when we are actually consciously praying to God. And, and, and when we are doing that, when we are consciously praying to God, uh, we are actually entering into the prayers of Jesus that he is offering on our behalf. This, beloved, is what it means to say with, my, with Paul, in my life of prayer, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And more than that, the life that I now live in the flesh, in regards to my life of prayer, I live not in myself, but by the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for and still loves me, and still gives himself for me, right now in this present moment as he intercedes for me before the face of God. 
Beloved, do you know what it means that Christ is always praying for you? Of course, on the one hand, it means that he is always interceding for you, for your be- on your behalf, that is, before the Father. Right? He is asking the Father to bless you, to protect you from the schemes of the evil one, to sustain you in your faith, to forgive your sins, to keep you from temptation, to give you your daily bread, to work in your life all things for good, all the circumstances that you experience. Yes, certainly that is part of what it means for Christ to intercede for us. But it's more than that. Christ not only prays for you, beloved, he also prays in your place, in your absence of prayer. He prays in your place. Think again of that moment that we heard this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus comes to his disciples. He finds them sleeping. He says to Peter, you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is calling Peter into a deeper life of prayer, even as he calls you and me day by day into a deeper life of prayer. But then what does Jesus do? He departs from Peter. He goes back before the face of his father. He continues to pray. And he knows Peter is not ready. He knows Peter isn't going to listen to the exhortation that he just gave him. He knows that Peter might wake up for a few moments and offer a few short prayers. But he knows that Peter will not watch for an hour. That he won't. He knows that Peter's love for God at this time, at least, is weak and that his strength will fail. And so Jesus stays awake on Peter's behalf. Jesus prays in Peter's place. He fulfills the law that Peter cannot fulfill. He takes Peter's weak and immature prayers and he gathers them up with his own strong and faithful prayers and he offers them to the Father. And this is a picture, beloved, of what the Lord Jesus has been doing for you all of your life, all of your days. Jesus has been doing for you what he does for Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whenever your life has been marked by prayerlessness, our Lord Christ has been praying in your place before the Father. Whenever you have been too busy, whatever that means, to pray, he has been praying in your place. Whenever you have tried to pray and you have fallen asleep because your flesh is weak, he has been praying in your place. And and so this week, friends, I want to encourage you as you pray, as you do this mysterious thing, as you receive this mysterious gift, from God. Consider what it means that your life of prayer is a gift that you receive, not a work that you perform. Consider what it means specifically in your life of prayer that it is not you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And consider what it means that the Son of God lives forever 
so that he might pray not only on your behalf, but in your place. For indeed, he lives forever to make intercession for all those who draw near to God through him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Indeed, Father, we give you thanks for your Son, for his faithfulness on our behalf. We thank you even now, Father, that he is at your right hand, making intercession for us. Father, may we indeed receive our life of prayer as a gift by your Spirit, through your Son. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.